What's up, everybody? You're listening to The Raven's Group. I'm your host, Dahi, and this is the 10th episode of our segment, Tales of the Unexplained, where I'll be talking about some of the spirits, aliens, and semi-mythical creatures and various other entities that go bump in the night. Today, we're going to be journeying to the land of the rising sun and taking a look at some of the most famous Japanese cryptids, Akamanto, otherwise known as the Red Cloak, Jorogumo, the Spider Woman, the Kappa, the famed demon of the waterways, Uchisake Ona, the notorious slipmouth woman, and Teketeke, the bisected girl. Now, a few quick disclaimers before I begin. First off, this series is comprised of folklore and urban legends. The existence of the cryptids and other creatures featured in these episodes are, as of this recording, currently unconfirmed by the scientific community at large. As such, any and all opinions I may reach in this segment are mine and mine alone unless explicitly stated otherwise. It's quite possible you may have heard different versions of the legends and stories I may retell in this series, so if you feel that the version you've heard or may even have experienced is different to the one I tell, please bear in mind that I'm just a storyteller. I will try and cross-reference the different versions of the legends and stories, so if I miss something, that is on me. Also, I want to make something very, very clear from the outset of this episode. I cannot speak a word of Japanese. I have a very basic familiarity with the way the words are meant to be pronounced, but that is literally it. So any and all pronunciation mistakes I make in this episode are not deliberate, and they are also entirely on me. No one else has helped me with the pronunciation. I'm going entirely by my own knowledge. So if I make a mistake... Please, please bear in mind, I'm not a native speaker. I've never made any systematic attempt to learn this language. I'm just going by how it is read out, so please don't hold that against me. <laughs> Finally, and this is a big one, the import- this episode of The Raven's Grove features the following trigger warnings, and be warned, there are a lot of them for this episode. We've got body harm mentions, animal predatory behavior mentions, being hunted mentions, murder mentions, mutilation mentions, body horror mentions, spider mentions, sexual assault mentions, child death mentions, as well as supernatural themes, urban legends, folklore, and potentially frightening stories. So if any of those are in any way an issue for you, please give this episode a miss. And Believe me when I say that some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about in this episode, even by the standards of the episodes I've aired in the past, it can get pretty graphic. So if you are in any way squeamish or freaked out by any of the trigger warnings I've just mentioned, I'm seriously urging you to give this episode a miss. Right, so now that those are out of the way, let's get started. Now, before we begin, we need to clarify some definitions related to the cryptids in this episode. I'm going to be talking about five individual creatures, and there are three different subtypes. So the creatures known as Akamanto and Jorogumo are considered to be yokai, which are considered to be a separate class of supernatural entities and spirits in Japanese folklore. The word yokai is often translated into English as demon, but in practice they're actually more akin to spirits and in, in, in supernatural entities. They can range from benevolent to mischievous to outright, outright malevolent in behavior, and there are absolutely tons of them in Japanese folklore. The third one I'm going to talk to you about today, the kappa, is a type of kami, which has got significant similarities to yokai. A kami is the Shinto equivalent of a deity, divinity, spirit, phenomena, or holy power. They can be elements of the landscape, forests, uh, forces of nature, spirits of the venerated dead, or different beings, and the qualities those beings express. An important note is that the kami are not separate from nature in Shinto, but they are rather of nature itself, possessing positive and negative good and evil characteristics. They're very complicated beings. 
Now, the final two crit distribution in today's episode, the Uchisake Ona and the Teketeke, are considered to be examples of Onryo, which means vengeful ghost. These ghosts are believed to be capable of causing a significant harm in the world of the living, injuring or killing enemies, or even going so far as to cause natural disasters to exact what they consider to be an appropriate vengeance for the wrongs they've suffered in life or at the time of their death. Onryo are often depicted as wronged women who are traumatized beyond belief by what happened to them, in my opinion, very fairly traumatized in life, and they set out to exact their own punishment of sorts on those responsible in death. Now, bear in mind that those are the three definitions, and so first up, we have got Akamanto, aka the Red Cloak. Now, according to the legend, Akamanto is said to, often said, to haunt either public restrooms or school bathrooms, or school bathrooms, sorry. More specifically, he is said to haunt female restrooms, and in some versions of the legend, he is said to haunt the last stall in these rooms. The spirit is said to have a long flowing red cloak and a mask that completely obscures his face, and in some stories he's described as being handsome and charming underneath his mask. According to the stories, if a person is sitting on a toilet in a public or school restroom, Akamanto may appear, and you'll ask them if they want red paper or blue paper. Now, in some versions of the story, the choice of between a red cloak and a blue cloak, or a red cape and a blue cape. The point is, he always asks them to choose between an item colored red and an item colored blue. If the unlucky victim picks the red option, the spirit will lacerate their body to such an extent that their corpse will be drenched in their own blood. The exact manner in which the victim is wounded varies depending on the versions of the story, but the most common methods appear to be either stabbing or flaying the victim. If, however, the victim chooses the blue option, then they'll be strangled and somehow all the blood will be drained from their body. If a person attempts to outsmart Akamanto by asking for a different color of paper, cloak, or cape, then it's often said they'll be dragged to an underworld or hell as a result. In some versions of the story, choosing a yellow color for the paper, cloak, or cape will result in you being drowned in the toilet. So, how do you save yourself? Well, according to some, but not all, versions of the story, the only way to avoid being killed by Akamanto is either to ignore him or to reply that you don't want or prefer either kind of paper cloak or cape. This is said to make him go away. In other versions of the story, rejecting both options and running away from him will also result in the victim's survival. Now bear in mind, I said some, but not all. So this is by no means a definite way of getting out of this. You know, each case is individual. So, cryptid number two is one that is absolutely terrifying for me on a personal level. Jorogumo, the spider woman. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here, folks. I am arachnophobic. I'm scared to death of spiders. And so this cryptid is like something out of my worst nightmares. According to the legend, Jorogumo are a type of yokai who can transform themselves from the form of a huge spider into that of a beautiful woman. They feed on young women, young men sorry, who are foolish enough to fall for their tricks, trapping them in their webs and slowly devouring them alive. The actual legend is based around that of the uh, golden orb weaver spider, which is commonly found all over Japan. According to the lore, when one of these spiders reaches 400 years old, they become a Jorogumo and start preying on humans. Now, there are several stories about Jorogumo in Japanese folklore. One of them, known in English as the Night Watchman's Storybook, 
tells his tale of a young warrior who encounters a beautiful woman. Uh, immediately realizing her true demonic nature, he strikes her with a sword and she flees into the attic of the house. Following her up there, he is stunned to find a spider whose body is about 30 centimeters or 12 inches, if you're using the Imperial system, long, and which is, uh, that's just the body, not the legs, just the body is 30 centimeters long, and which is surrounded by dead and decaying bodies. In Izo, Jordan Falls is home to a Jorogumo. The legend says that a woodcutter encountered the spider when she tried to drag him behind the waterfall. He escaped, warning the village to stay away, but an outsider met the demon. Surprisingly, she let him live as long as he never spoke about it. Unfortunately, the man went, the man went to blab to Nolan Sundry about the experience. The story diverges from there, but most inversions end with him entangled in spiderweb and wishing he just kept his mouth shut. Now, it gets worse, unfortunately. Jorogumo isn't the only demonic killer spider in Japan. Tsushigumo, with the translation literally means earth or dirt spider, they are huge wandering spiders with human-like faces that hide in corners and dark spaces. They are likely influenced by the real Chinese bird spider, and bandits and soldiers are hid in the shadows and prepared to ambush people. Now, again, I am just retelling these legends as is. If the people that uh, know the legends better say something different, I'd advise you to do your own research on that one. Creature number three is arguably one of the most iconic creatures from Japanese folklore, the Kappa. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Kappa is actually a type of kami, but it's definitely not one you want to come across. According to the legends, they're said to be roughly the size of a small child and a humanoid in form. Their preferred terrain is the ponds and rivers of Japan. They are apparently quite clumsy on land, but are completely at home in the water and they thrive in the warmer months. They're said to be typically either greenish or yellowy-blue in color, and are said to be either slimy or scaly-skinned, with webbed hands and feet and a turtle-like carapace upon their backs. Despite their diminutive size, they are said to be able to overpower a fully-grown man. The main way to recognize a carpa on land is to look at the head. Carpa possess a large, bowl-like growth on the head, which is full of water. If the carpa is on land, then it must keep the bowl from spilling out or drying out, Otherwise, it will die. Now, Kappa are usually seen as mischievous troublemakers or trickster figures, and their actions range from complete, comparatively relatively minor misdemeanors, such as looking up a woman's kimono at the venture to near water, to outright malevolence, such as drowning people and animals, kidnapping children, raping women, and sometimes eating human flesh. Though sometimes menacing, they also may behave amicably towards humans. Now, one thing that all the sources agree on is that Kappa love cucumbers. Now, apparently, making an offering of cucumbers at a shrine during a festival is one of the few ways to ensure that Kappa won't attack you. As water monsters, they've been blamed for many drownings and are often said to try and lure people into the water and pull them in with their great skill at wrestling. They are sometimes said to take the victims for the purposes of drinking their blood, eating their livers, or gaining power by taking their, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly, Shirekodama, which is a mythical bowl said to contain the soul, which is located inside the anus. Kappa have been used to warn children about dangers lurking in rivers and lakes, as Kappa are often said to try and lure people into water and pull them in. Even today, signs warning about Kappa appear on bodies of water in some Japanese towns and villages. So, how do you defeat one? Well, it was believed that there are a few means to escape if one was confronted by a Kappa. Kappa are obsessed with politeness, so if a person makes a deep bow, it will return the gesture. 
This results in the carpus spilling the water held in the dish or bowl, known as a sada, on its head, rendering it unable to leave the bowing position until the plate is refilled with water from the river in which it lives. If a person refills that bowl, the kappa will serve that person for all eternity. A similar weakness of the kappa involves its arms, which can easily be pulled from its body. Now, according to the sources I've read, kappa's arms are actually connected inside their body, so if one arm goes one way, the other arm will get shorter. So, if an arm is detached, the kappa will actually perform favors or share knowledge in exchange for its return. Another method of defeat involves sumo wrestling. A kappa sometimes challenges a human being to wrestle or engage in other tests of skill. This tendency is easily used to encourage the kappa to spill water from its bowl. One notable example of this method is the folktale of the farmer who promises his daughter's hand in marriage to a kappa in exchange for the creature irrigating his land. The farmer's daughter challenges the kappa to submerge several gourds in water. When the kappa fails its task, it retreats, saving the farmer's daughter from the marriage. Kappa have also been known to be driven away from their by their aversion to iron, sesame, or ginger. Now, where did the legend of the Kappa come from? Well, that's something that a lot of people have actually discussed and gotten into arguments over over the years. But there's one possibility that was actually brought up in the show River Monsters by presented by Jeremy Wade. Now, he actually is a professional sports fisherman and expert in folklore who goes all around the world looking up, okay, it, what is the creatures that live in bodies of water and what is the real life inspiration for them? He actually went to Japan and he said that there's a possibility that the kappa may actually have been inspired by the Japanese giant salamander, which is absolutely enormous. I think they can grow up to two meters in length, which is roughly about nearly seven foot in length. And they are commonly found in the freshwater waterways of Japanese ponds, streams, rivers, and lakes. Now, as for whether or not this is true, I also don't know. I mean, unless we have a a kind of telepathic or time machine, we will likely never know. All I know is that kappa are very, very common in Japanese folklore. They're one of the most instantly recognizable items or beings in Japanese folklore on a worldwide scale. And they've appeared in stuff like the Ninja Turtles franchise, the Harry Potter books. They are hugely popular. So I guess we'll see. Now, cryptid number four is one of the more scary cryptids I've talked about in Tales and Explained, and for good reason. The Uchitsake Ona, or in English, the slip-faced woman, is a type of yokai, or vengeful ghost. She's called the slip-faced woman because of what happened to her in life. Now, there are many different versions of this legend. Some versions say that she was the wife of a samurai who cheated on her husband, and in a sadistic rage, he slid her mouth open from ear to ear. Other versions of the story say that her mouth was mutilated in a medical or dental procedure, that she was mutilated by another woman who was jealous of her beauty, or that she was born with just an unnaturally wide mouth. All the versions of the story agree on the fact that her mouth stretches from ear to ear, and the most popular versions of the story say that this is the result of someone slicing her mouth open Joker style in what is commonly known to the Western world as the Glasgow Smile. The point is she died of the shock of this pretty horrific mutilation, and that's when she became a vengeful ghost. According to the story, she covers her ma face behind a cloth mask, most versions specifically say a surgical mask, and she always carries some large you know, weapon of some kind that is unnaturally sharp with her, such as a knife, a machete, a scythe, a sickle, or even a large pair of scissors. She approaches her victims and asks them if they think she's beautiful. If the person answers no, she immediately kills them with her weapon. If they ask yes, she'll remove the mask to reveal her pretty 
horrific injuries. She will then ask the question again, or she'll ask even now or even with this. And if the person answers no or screams in fright, she'll instantly kill them with a weapon. If they say yes, then she disfigures them in the manner in which she was disfigured, but usually the person lives. She's said to be supernaturally fast and strong, so you can't best her in combat. Now, how do you survive an encounter with the unscathed? Well, in some versions of the legend, she will leave the protection victim alone if they answer yes to both of her questions. However, in other versions, she'll either slash your face or she'll visit the individual's residence later that night and murder the person while they're sleeping. Other survival tactics include replying to her question by describing her appearance as average, giving the individual enough time to run away. You can also distract her by giving or throwing money or hard candies, specifically the type of candy known as Beko Ame, which is made from caramelized sugar, in her direction as you'll stop to pick them up. Now, those are all valid methods, but there's another method I've heard of from a friend of mine called John. John is a bit of an expert in the supernatural, and he says that one way to evade the slipmouth woman is to turn her question back against her. In other words, when she asks you if you think she's beautiful, you ask her if she thinks you are beautiful. Now, according to John, this will confuse her enough that she will not be able to attack you or anyone else for the rest of the night. However, John also says this is a very risky strategy and is only successful if you ask a question in the exact same cadence of rhythm inflections and tones of voice as a slipmouth woman asked you which is obviously going to be extremely difficult especially when you realize that you're going up against what is essentially a vengeful ghost that you can't kill so my advice just be careful out there now our final critter for today is teke teke the bisected girl now this one's actually very similar to both akamanto and kuchisake ona as well as another yokai known as hanako-san now, I'm not going to be talking about Hanako-san today, but I might feature her in another episode in the future, so stay tuned. Anyway, Teke Teke is said to be the eventual ghost of a schoolgirl who fell onto the railroad tracks and was cut in half at the waist by a train that couldn't stop in time. She's said to inhabit urban areas, especially train stations, at night. According to the story, since she has no lower half of her body, she moves around either on her hands or her elbows, making a tick tick sound as she moves. If she comes across anyone, she chases them with supernatural speed and slices them in half with the torso with her weapon, usually a scythe, killing them in a cruel mimicking of her own wounds. One version of the story concerns a young woman called Kashima Reiko. Now, as with the original iteration of the legend, Kashima died when her legs were severed from her body by a train after she fell on the tracks. According to some stories, the, some versions of the legend state that when an individual learns of Kashima's story, she will appear to them within a month. The Kashima Reiko story predates that of Teke Teke. The legless spirit of Kashima Reiko is said to haunt bathroom stalls, asking occupants if they know where her legs are. If a question individual replies with an answer that she does not find acceptable, she will rip or cut their legs off. Now, individuals may survive the encounter with her by replying that her legs are on the Meishin Expressway or by responding with the phrase, and I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, Kamen Shinin Ma, which literally translates as Masked Death Demon, which may be the phonetic root of her name. The legend of Kashima Reiko has been described as a bathroom-centric version of Teke Teke. Either way, once Kashima Reiko or Teke Teke has their sights trained on you, there's no escape. You either have to interact with them by saying those phrases if it's Kashima, but from what I've heard, Teke Teke has no such 
questions available. So when she's got her sights trained on you, there's no escape. So if you're traveling by train late at night in Japan, just please be careful. Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to The Ravens Grove. I've been Daiki. You've been awesome. I'll talk to you in the next episode. See ya.